Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that we'll be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors. Find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching Learning Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well... Use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Stanley Richards. Stanley is the digital curriculum manager at PBL Works. He is a former science teacher and has been studying the effectiveness of PBL in the AP environment. Join us as we talk about the PBL Works research and its findings. Uh, we talk a little bit about supporting teachers and learning how to use PBL in a classroom and so much more. Lots to learn today. You're going to really like this talk. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash review and went in there and rated and reviewed the podcast. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy. Hey, Steve here, and I want to ask you a question. Have you been feeling stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, maybe stuck? Or how about you're emotionally eating, you can't sleep, you're mindlessly scrolling the internet or watching TV, you have racing thoughts and maybe even a foggy brain. If you're experiencing these, then Self-Care Summer is for you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to collaborate with Connect Flow Grow to bring you this exciting opportunity. The founder, Lynn Jimenez, is a therapist specializing in helping people reduce stress so they can live happier, more productive lives. This summer, she is bringing together her favorite self-care experts for self-care summer to help you learn how to keep stress low. In addition to starting or freshening up your self-care practices, Lynn will teach you what you need to know about stress, including what it is, how to identify how stress impacts you, and how to use coping skills effectively to actually stress less. So go to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, and click on the Self-Care Summer with ConnectFlow Grow hosting link this event only happens once a year, and you're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show.
Stanley Richards is the Digital Curriculum Manager at PBL Works. Stanley joined PBL Works as the Program Manager for an ongoing partnership between PBL Works and Lucas Education Research, or LER, to study the effectiveness of PBL within a high-stakes AP environment. He supports the professional development and coaching of teachers to implement AP environmental science and AP government curricula in school districts all over the country. Previous to his work at PBL Works, Stanley implemented PBL practices as a high school science teacher for 10 years, both in Colorado at Eagle Rock School and Professional Development Center, a residential school for at-risk youth in the mountains of Colorado, and City Arts and Technology, a small urban high school in San Francisco, where he was a founding teacher. Stanley was also an instructional coach in the subjects of science and math for five years. Stanley has a BS in environmental science with a focus on biology and chemistry from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Today we're talking about teaching AP, recent research, and supporting AP teachers. Stanley, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hello, everybody, and hello, Stephen. It's a pleasure being here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. And before we talk AP and we talk about PBL works and all kinds of good stuff, could you talk about your science teaching at Eagle Rock School and Professional Development Center? I mean, share a little bit about the student population and what you learned working there. Sure, absolutely. So Eagle Rock School and Professional Development Center is uh, near Rocky Mountain National Park in the mountains uh, near Estes Park, Colorado. Um, It is a place where uh, students go where they're not thriving in their current situations, um, where they might not have positive options in their community um, for education and want to take control of their life and learning. So this is actually a place where um, they get accepted they apply and they, if they get accepted, then from there they get a full tuition room and board um, to be able to go to this school. Small student population um, with a really amazing student teacher ratio of approximately 10 to one. Um, and so it's just an incredible place to be able to give the support necessary for learners who might have trouble or struggle in their own situations. Very cool. Very cool. The, uh, and I mean, this is a unique start that you have here because you have that as a place where you work. And then you also were on the original staff of City Arts and Technology in San Francisco. Could you talk a little bit about this school and something that you learned working with that student population? Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's an interesting story, actually, because uh, Eagle Rock School and also City Arts and Technology are very connected. A lot of the teachers that worked at Eagle Rock School were also very involved with the beginning of Envision Schools, which is where City Arts and Technology, it, it is the organization that runs City Arts and Technology High School. Um, funny story, actually, is the fact that I... Um, I was leaving, I actually got my student, did my student teaching at Eagle Rock. And so I was leaving, driving out. I was actually going back to North Carolina to be able to look for teaching positions there. And then the head of school comes running out, literally I'm driving out of the campus. <laughs> and um, he comes running out and says, hey, there's my friend is opening up a school at City, uh, my school in San Francisco. And so uh, would you want to interview? I don't know if you have a position. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll interview. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, well, he's on the phone right now. So why don't you go and interview right now? Nice, so nice. I parked, I interviewed for an hour. The, um, the head of school said, I think this will work out. And so I said, does this, have, does this mean I have a job? Yep. And so instead of taking a right back to North Carolina, I took a left to San Francisco to be able to start a school, um, which is one of the hardest and most rewarding two years of my entire life. Um, it is something that 
being on the ground level to be able to build the culture and community of a school was, was is probably a thing that I will take as the highest achievement that I've had in my professional career. Um, and so basically City Arts and Technology High School has a real focus around first generation college bound students, um, thinking about how to be able to get students into institutes of higher education after high school. Um, I am happy to say that we do have, I believe, still a 90% uh, rate of students going into institutes of higher education after they graduate City Arts and Tech High School. Um, and a lot of it is around support in the community that's built um, within the walls of the school. We know that education and learning happens in the classroom, but a real large integral part of education is just the community and the relationships that are built within the within their years working in a high school. Um, so I think the the strong support necessary around advisories, making sure that students and teachers have a really strong connection throughout their years teaching uh, or learning in the community, and a real strong emphasis around knowledge of the community itself. I think that's the thing that I learned the most um, is that context matters and knowing students matter which means knowing families and knowing communities and knowing their own lives outside of the walls of the school, um, which was the biggest thing that I learned, obviously, coming from Colorado and moving to San Francisco pretty immediately and then starting a school. Um, the other thing I learned is just how all learners are capable. Um, one thing that we do have at City Arts and Technology is a graduate profile, a graduate portfolio, which is a pretty intensive defense of work that they have done in order to graduate high school. It's about, it's, it's a dissertation. It is uh, approximately an hour long dissertation where they present their findings, which are the pieces of work that they've made throughout their time at the school um, and defending it and showing how and why they are ready to be able to move on into institutes of higher education or whatever profession that they're going to be moving on to after high school. And so I think that's, um, to me, besides the relationship and community and understanding how important community is to be able to teach students, is that, is just the fact that students are capable and like with the right scaffolding and support and community, all students can achieve. Um, I think a thing that really typified that, uh, a, a former student of mine, I was thinking about this, a former student of mine in, in a reflection that they wrote um, in their senior, no, junior year of high school, talked a lot about how in the real world, people don't operate in math class and then science class and then history class. Everything is connected. Right? And all things are connected and you have to be able to use a lot of different knowledge and understanding and skills to be able to succeed in the world outside of school. And so her question was like, why does school have to be divided in the ways that we divide it now? Um, and so I think a thing that I always like to think about is that really, really strikes home for me. And it really typifies and helps me understand how we can really reach all learners through the community that we build through interdisciplinary projects and project-based learning and really holding those high expectations and standards for all learners. That's cool. That's very cool. And, and you know, it's, I think, you know, it's, it, 
at some point, I think, um, you know, just being able to experience building a school culture, being part of working with kids in an environment where all the staff are kind of on the same wavelength as a, is, is so cool. I've, I've been that in that situation myself in one place. And, and that was the neatest feeling ever because then that we connected in a whole different way. And we're really kind of focused on those, uh, you know, dedicated learning opportunities and seeing that everybody can, uh, uh, can learn and grow. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, challenging each other with trying to pursue, um, you know, how well the kids did and, you know, you could be more creative and <laughs> just any number yeah, of things. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing, like we always talk about how there's students and teachers in a school, but really, honestly, we're all learners. And I think that's the thing that I always like to think about is the fact that teaching doesn't necessarily mean that you are not learning. And I think the most important things I learn in my life are from students and from community members and the ways that I can refine and change my practice to be able to adapt to different needs and contexts. And so I think what you're saying, Stephen, is really exactly what I was thinking too, around how the, that how the staff is a part of the community and how we all learn and evolve together. Um, I was actually, I've been, I've been on Instagram a little bit and uh, I can't believe that some of the students that I taught are almost 35. <laughs> nice, <laughs> but, nice. But also the fact that I still am con connected to them, yeah, right? I yeah. can still say happy birthday to them on small like messages or just know the fact that they are still succeeding and doing things that are really exciting to them is uh, it just, it still, it still gives me that feeling around when like, something really successful happens in a classroom because that's the ultimate thing. Like, you know, 18 odd years ago when I was teaching them, I never thought about it, but it still reminds me of, Oh, that was, that was blank. That, that drove me a little crazy, <laughs> but also look at them now and look at how incredible they're doing. Um, it's really, that's, that's, that's a great joy in my life. Very cool. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, there's nothing, you can't describe it to anyone when you're just out of the blue, somebody reaches out and says uh, something to you and you go, is this the same person that, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, it, and it's like, it's crazy. I mean, I, um, I, the, the wildest one I think I ever had happen like that was I was coming out of a, um, we were at a Georgia Tech football game. Uh -huh. And uh, it was the, a couple of years ago was when Georgia Tech beat uh, Florida State with a last minute, picked oh, up the ball yeah. and ran it in for a touchdown. It was and it was just the place went nuts. And uh, um, because let's <laughs> face it, Georgia Tech season that this season wasn't exactly the best. And, yeah. uh, and then suddenly they beat this team um, that uh, all it was was they were going to automatic, you know, they, they were getting ready to automatically win by kicking this forever long football, you know, field goal. And instead, yeah. uh Tech picks it up, runs it into the end zone, wins. This is not an advertisement for Tech, but the point is, is the place is going bonanza. I mean, we're going, yeah. you know, bonkers all over the place. And as I'm leaving the place, one of these doors opens, and I look in the door, and this guy looks at me and he goes, Mr. Milano. 
<laughs> Mr. Mileto, the holy crud. And in the middle of pandemonium, I had to uh, reconnect with, uh, with a former student of mine, which was really cool. So amazing. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't realize that you were an Atlantic Coast Conference person. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, as a UNC alum. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the fact that I think like I was actually, I got into a lift once like when I was driving, uh, when I was getting a ride and I kept on looking at the person in the front and I was like, I like, I don't want to say that this is this person, but I'm pretty sure it is. And I actually got out and I looked at like who it was and I was like, it was. And so I immediately, I immediately messaged him on Instagram and he came back and we talked for a little bit. He gave me this huge hug and it's just incredible. Those, those moments, like you really cannot beat those moments. Like, I think they're just, they're the best. And this is also a plug for anybody out there who has not contacted an old teacher that has influenced them to be able to do that because you now know how important and how good that feels. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. That, that needs to become part of my show. I think that, you know, cause it's, cause there is, it's, it really does feel good. Even, even the most awkward one, which since you've gone down that path, I got to tell you that I was, I was leaving a, a, prof- a professional sports arena and, uh, um, as I'm walking out, this, this guy keeps looking over his shoulder and it's a huge crowd. Right. And it's just, yeah. I'm like, this is a little strange. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, I think somebody up there might recognize me. And I hope this is a good person because <laughs> this is, a, there's a lot of witnesses if there's not. And, uh, um, and it turned out to be somebody who, um, was I um, the last person I suspended from a school um, mm. when I was going from being an assistant principal to a principal. So I was leaving the school. And so when I realized who he was, I was like, yeah, this might not be good. <laughs> and and the cool thing was, was that uh, in the middle of this huge crowd, I mean, we stopped and he, he said, he apologized to me mm-hmm. and uh, said some really nice things. And, uh, and then told me what he's up to because it's several years later and that was really cool yeah yeah so so even even situations like that can work out oh it's true i mean like we always say hindsight is 2020 right like i actually did not only did i think a lot of my teachers would just connect with them i did full full disclosure i did apologize to one or two just because (laughs) i i thought you know like i i was i was the kid that needed pbl like when i was growing up is I was the student that that wasn't fully engaged in a lot of ways. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I just, I think about that, those teachers that really develop those engaging experiences. I'm not only a PBL practitioner, but I was, I am a product of project-based learning. And so it's a, uh, it is, it is something that's really near and dear and, and just those, those connections and like the community that can be built is such an incredible thing. Like if you really pay attention to students and, and even the ones that, you know, that you might not have had the best impression of, they will go back and they will say, oh, you know, I, I appreciate what you did in a lot of ways. If, if it was, if it was a, with, with the right heart and intent, I think, I hope. <laughs> I, I think for the, for the most part, yes. I mean, because then, you know, and depending on what role you're in, if you're the classroom teacher, um, it's a little different from being the, the classroom teacher and principal are a lot more the same. The assistant principal okay. role, <laughs> that's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. I, I have heard that, and that is why I've never been <laughs> never You never know what that reaction might be when they see it 10 yeah. years later. Um, but the good thing is, is that 
you know, I, I've told people, I said, you know, I don't hold the grudges against because you did something as a high school kid. And so there you get two types of reactions. One is they're worried that you'll still hate them. And the other one is they still hate you. <laughs> you know, so it's like, dude, man, I'm a little older. All right. It's like, anyway, um, so it's cool what you're talking about. Neat stuff. Hey, and and I got to ask, I got to ask this because so did you ever make it back to North Carolina? I mean, you, you leave my audience hanging here. You you you. North Carolina to Colorado, almost coming back, but then ended up being Shanghai to San Francisco. <laughs> well, I um, do, I do go back a, a considerable amount, actually. I mean, my, my mom still lives in North Carolina. I still have very deep, deep roots in North Carolina. Um, all of my friends and a large group of people that I'm very close to um, are still in North Carolina. Even people actually like one of my closest friends is now, uh, uh, now uh, admin in Wake County. So it's nice to be able to see people. It's, it's, I, I feel like when, when, when people knew that, like, you know, when I told people I was going from, from uh, Colorado to San Francisco, not going back to North Carolina, some of, the, some of the reactions from my friends were like, I mean, okay, but like, you know, we need you here. Nice. And, and I hear that, like, that is, that is 100% true, but it's also nice to see that friends are coming from, the Bay area and doing good work in North Carolina too. So yeah, I go back a lot. Um, I, you know, obviously, you know, why might, I might, you know, with, with COVID right now in quarantine, like I hope right. to be going soon, but yeah, it's a, it is very deep roots in, in Raleigh, specifically Durham and Chapel Hill. Very cool. Very cool. I, I just, I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, you, you did that whole, I don't know if this is, <laughs> too outdated a reference for you, but uh, you know, this is, uh, you did this whole Bugs Bunny thing, right? You know, you got to, you should have taken a left turn at Albuquerque, you know, it's like, it's, it's dead, you kept on going. It's like, anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I no, watched too many cartoons. No, no, no. That, is, that, that reference is not lost to me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I watched too many cartoons. But anyway, um, so, so let's go back to what uh, um, we're ta- supposed to be talking about. And um, so Stanley, I, I understand you were involved in some recent research about project-based learning and that the results were pretty impressive. And first, let's back up. Can you tell us a little bit about project-based learning, you know, what it is and uh, what does a project-based learning approach look like in a classroom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I talked about it a little bit earlier, um, or I might have referred to it in some ways, but I always like to think about the dynamic around power with versus power over. And what I mean about that is that I feel like in a PBL classroom, I feel like the student and the teacher are working synchronously to be able to learn and to be able to facilitate learning. Um, and it is a place where uh, reflections matter, where students uh, can reflect back to teachers talking about the process, and then the teacher can adjust as needed. Um, versus power over, which I always like to say is that, that when education is done to somebody, and I mean, like when I'm talking about that, I mean a little bit more around like that there is just only lecture, 45 minutes of lecture. And then from there, there's a test, right? That is a very traditional format where we're not thinking more around flexing and flexibility of learning. Um, we like to call it a little bit uh, at PBL Works uh, uh, that the project and project-based learning is main course and not dessert. And so... When you think about projects, I think a lot of people always think about like a poster that you make after a unit, you know, that you like learn about 
uh, ecosystems. And then from there, for a day, you do you pull out the markers and then you do like a fun little poster around a biome. Or you do something around like a very specific area and you talk a little bit around what fish or what flora, what fauna are there. Um, and it's kind of tacked on at the end of the learning. And so when we're talking about that's the, the, a dessert project. When we talk about projects being the main course, the project actually drives the learning throughout the entirety of the actual learning and unit. So for instance, instead of, um, instead of that example around ecology and doing a, an ecosystems poster, may you actually do a study of the ecosystems around your school. Right? And that you actually propose solutions in terms of cleanup projects within the ecosystems around your school um, and propose solutions and propose ways to be able to remediate the, the ecosystem. Notice that there's a lot of trash and like propose ways to be able to do that uh, cleanup. And then from there, you present it to community members and you talk a little bit around what is the actual process to be able to clean up that system. And during that time, you're still learning the same content that you would do uh, in an ecosystem project or unit, right? And so I think that I always like to think that the project is the actual way to be able to get to the learning, right? And so I think that's an essential piece. And when we talk about projects and project-based learning at PBL Works, we've defined elements that make a good project, which are going to be around what we call the gold standard design elements, which really think about authenticity and think about how to be able to build sustained inquiry within a project. How are students asking those questions? Um, how is there a challenging problem or question that starts off the unit to be able to answer throughout the entire project? What is the public product? Well, who are you presenting to? Um, how are you using critique and revision? Right, to be able to refine a actual product that will be presented. How are you reflecting throughout the entire process? Going back to like what um, my students said in a reflection earlier about how we, how she didn't understand how different things are compartmentalized in school because the world works interdisciplinary. I think that the world works in projects, right? And so it's really a way to be able to scaffold learning so that students understand that the world works within projects, right? You are practicing projects because you will be doing projects for the rest of your life, right? Like in terms of the ways that you interact with the work, uh, with whatever work that you're doing. Um, and that is kind of the way that we design projects itself. Um, there's obviously also the components around teaching, right? And actually implementing a project within um, a classroom. And so we do have the gold standard project-based teaching practices, which really think about how we kind of, what I said in terms of earlier around power with versus power over, right? How do we actually build community and build culture to be able to understand that that this is different from maybe a more traditional format because a lot of like, you know, like when we started Cesar, say arts and tech, there was a lot of culture building because a lot of kids or last students did not come from a place where they were expected to um, contribute. Right. And that there were, uh, and we had to build community and culture around how projects occur in, in a school, which is, you know, you, you know, Stephen, right. Building a culture in a school is, 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 
probably the most important thing to be able to do once you get it off running. Um, But it's also thinking about how we build the ways that um, students are going to interact with not only the curriculum, but with each other. Um, So, you know, when we talk about teaching practices, really think about how we scaffold and assess learning. How do we manage activities in the classroom? Um, Like I said, building the culture, right? There's a lot of different aspects to be able to uh, implement a project. Once you've designed a project, then the next step is to do the project. So those are kind of the ways that we think about project-based learning. Oh, that's excellent, I love it. Uh, one of the things I wanna do is that, so your research now basically showed that um, kids who were learning in a PBL type environment were able to be successful in AP, is that right? Yes. Yes, that was a, that was a major finding that we had. Yes, which is really cool. So let's before we go any further, if someone were to ask you, I've heard AP before, but what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, AP stands for Advanced Placement, um, and so what I think about it is an opportunity for students to get college credit and then step up into college. Um, I think what we find the research shows is that. Um, students and especially first generation college bound students like there is a uh, rate of attrition that happens between the first and second year right is that like they they might not be as fully prepared as they would like um i know that was for me myself my own experience i wasn't necessarily as fully prepared as i would have liked when i went to unc but um it is a way to be able to get um to get that credit and get a little bit of a step up right to be able to get some of those different uh first classes out of the way. And and the way that AP does that is through rigorous content and standards, right? There are very specific things that are outlined in the course and exam description that need to be hit that emulates like really strong content that would be happening in the first years of college um, that are tested then at the end with an AP exam. And so if you do get a score uh, dependent on the school three or four above on a scale of one to five then from there you have the opportunity to be able to get college credit um, and so i think it's an important thing to be able to get a lot of those beginning credits out of the way so that there is a little bit of a clearer path and i also think about students that are first generation college bound right like the ones that need that time and that, that little push right to be able to make sure that they uh, succeed which is i think is a, a super important thing very much so. You know, it's uh, um, having been a principal who I, I went to schools to make change. And typically part of that was trying to figure out how to to uh, get to drive kids towards that wanting to achieve whatever that part of their future dream was. And mm-hmm. and part of that was to expand and develop AP programs mm-hmm. and uh, and then to expand the reach of it. So getting non-traditional students to participate. And mm-hmm. one of the things I used to tell uh parents, as well as the kids, I said, your kids are going to be yelling and screaming about, let me out, let me out. (laughs) I said, you know, kind of like Odysseus. And I said, uh, whatever you do, they can listen to the sirens, but they're not, don't let them on, don't let them go because they're not, you know, and I try and show them the research and such that said that, uh, you know, if you can make it through and, and uh, have that, uh, that experience of experiencing, you know, being part of rigorous, that type of rigor, that Mm -hmm. it, they're, College Board's research was such that it said that it showed that the success rate in the, f- the first year of college was tremendous. So, you know, when, let's talk a little bit about your uh, 
um, what's your findings? I mean, how the, how was this run? I mean, because this wasn't like you interviewed like four people. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, you know, like, I guess, like, I came into PBL Works to be able to do this project. Um, if it was just simply interviewing four people, I would have loved it you know I mean? <laughs> like i'd take a vacation but no it was a it's so um the actual work was a randomized control trial in five districts uh over a span of two years um so a randomized control trial is going to be con comparing a treatment group to a control group um and the reason why it was two years was because when we divided up the actual cohorts, we wanted everybody to be able to get an opportunity to be able to teach project-based learning. So everybody got the opportunity to be opportunity to be able to implement what is called the knowledge and action curriculum. And so the knowledge and action curriculum, we talked a little bit about in the beginning, or you did, um, around the AP environmental science and AP government and politics courses. And so what the knowledge and action uh, or KIA curriculum is, is uh, five projects that were developed by the University of Washington and teachers um, that cover the span of all of the content for the course and exam descriptions for AP Environmental Science, AP Government and Politics. Um, I was actually lucky enough to be able to be one of the pilot teachers. So I actually taught AP Environmental Science at City Arts and Tech High School nice. um, and was able to actually revise the curriculum um, for its next iteration coached it and then from there came to PBL works to be able to design the professional development for the randomized control trial that was run by Lucas education research. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, I, I have deep roots again within actually this like Now that I think about it, I guess I've been doing this for a very long time. <laughs> Knowledge and action work has been uh, part of my life for oof, probably eight years now. Um, this is why those kids and, are becoming 30 and you know, soon 40 yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like when I get to those, when I get those like invites to their 40th birthday, I am going to have a very, very hard day, but <laughs> that, that, that would be great if I did get an invite actually. Um, so yeah, so I, so basically what the randomized control trial or RCT was, was, um, focusing around around 3,600 students all over the country. Um, it was a very large span of districts, um, ranging from quote unquote higher performing to less, uh, to a lower performing districts um, who were interested in the actual implementation of this KIA curriculum and the five projects. And so it was a broad range across um, and so what we found, or what the researchers found, were that um, students in a PBL AP classroom actually outperformed those in the traditional AP classes um, by a past test rate, I think, of around eight percentage points. 
Um, so it was a significant difference. And I think that we had an earlier study when I was first involved that showed that there was it was promising, that it was a promising practice. Um, so this uh, the, the research findings now are pretty spectacular. Um, it's very exciting. Um, and just the fact that we saw that there was a statistically significant difference between those two populations and also very uh, significant difference specifically in people of color communities and also areas that have not been traditionally served by uh, schools before. And so I think that that is, to me, one of the more important things uh, in consideration with my own history education. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's super exciting. Um, I'm really happy that um, the work that has happened over the past several years have come to this. You know, I can't, I can't deny I did have a sleepless night before I got the research, uh, but it was, it was very exciting. So, yeah, I think, I, I think it's a testament to you, you going back, Stephen, to like the point around rigor within AP classes. Um, I think that rigor is going to be a super important aspect, right? To be able to go into, uh, into college or institutions of higher education. But I think also like the, the focus around engagement and authentic learning, I think is like a hallmark of the knowledge and action curriculum. And so I'm, I, I think that it is a good reminder that rigorous can also be authentic and engaging. Um, and that it can show and have measurable effect on learners and students um, to be able to get those credits. That's excellent. I, I, I like that. And, and it really does. I mean, because you know, unfortunately, some of the AP world has been focused, of, especially the very if you go back a bunch of years, <laughs> um, it was focused on, uh, you know, uh, pretty much keeping people, I like to think of this as the opposite of the old TV show Lost, where they're trying to get off the island. You know, it's in the past, it was all about keeping them on the island and don't let anybody else in. And, uh, you know, and it's and, and it's been the opposite of that for a whole bunch of years, um, go back to the early 2000s, um, you know, because they used to have admission tests and stuff like this in order to even be considered to get in there. And uh, it's it's but you still had the problem of it being taught in a way that it, um, it's memorization and uh, mm. not a lot of doing. It's a lot of, you know, uh, exercising the brain maybe in memorization other than, uh, um, than actually doing real ac activity sorts of projects and things like that, which is cool. Yeah, and I think like going back to earlier when I was talking about like education being done to a person. Right, right. Like, yes. That, you know, I do think because of the fact that there is so many different things that need, that were that are tested on the AP exam, I think like you know, to to no teacher's fault, like they want to get through the content, and so the the way that they think or the way that teachers think about getting through the content is through chapter one, lecture, 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 quiz, chapter two, lecture, 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 test, right? Just because that is the way that they can see how standards are being checked off. You, right. you can, at the end of each class, you can say, I did this and this, right? But, but how much persists? You know, like how much does, how much does learning persist in one's brain if it is not connected to something that is engaging and authentic to the learning? I think is, is something that we all need to consider. Um, 
I don't know. I always think about like, you know, for instance, in the environmental science class, um, learning about like uh, conservation rules and laws um, around water in, uh, in, in a lecture, maybe I'll remember it, maybe. But if you think about it in the context of thinking about how you conserve water and do an audit within your own house or within your own school and actually present it to your family or your uh, or the administration, right? Talking about how those laws exist to be able to conserve and here is how you can conserve and also save money in your wire bill. To me, that becomes something much more sticky in the head. And so I think that's that's why I always like to think about when people are wondering about how this might work within the AP class. I always talk a little bit around how what what things do you remember? What makes things sticky in your brain to be able to uh, engage and to be able to act upon something? Right. And I think nine times out of ten, it's not listening to a lecture. Um, it is the application of learning. And I think the thing that that the knowledge and action curriculum does really well is apply learning to authentic contents and projects. Um, and I think that's just something not only within the, the Kia curriculum, but it's also, I think, like uh, within any well-designed project, that is the way that we can, um, that we can make sure that learning is sticky. Um, and that being said, I want to back up like, like lecture, like lecture is important, right? Like, but it is also then like, how do you apply that learning into something else yeah. I think is the place that we need to think about uh, in terms of project-based learning and also Kia and AP. That's very good. I, you know, I, you know, it's, it's funny. It's what you made me think of. There's any number of ways of applying this. Now it takes time. I mean, it takes time to figure out how to create these activities and projects and such. And, and, uh, um, and you just with your talk about, I mean, like when you talk about environmental science, I mean, um, something that, uh, I can remember, uh, Having, I'm a former scout leader, and um, mm -hmm. our scouts went down to uh, in uh, in the Charleston area. There's a uh, um, a, a, a giant floating museum, which was a, a battle. Oh. I'm trying to remember which. I think it's the it's one of the aircraft carriers from World War II. And huh. um, when they brought it in, um, and they plopped it down in this area for people, and it's really cool. It's, for scouting groups, you can go spend the night, <laughs> and it's talk about. That is, a, that is really cool. It's I a would, neat I thing. Remember that for sure. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, and they and but not only did you get into the history of it, basically one of the things that the scouts were there doing is that um, when they put the ship there, they didn't realize how much, even though you emptied the oil and the fuel and all this out of it, it still was kind of oozing it, <laughs> mm -hmm. and so. By placing it where they did, they thought it's perfect. It's out of the water channel, all kinds of stuff. Well, it changed the flow of the water. Mm -hmm. And when it changed the flow of the water, it started killing the natural oysters and these little mm -hmm. critters that, that were part of the ecosystem there. And mm -hmm. so the scouts, basically what happened was these environmental scientists um, developed what needed to be done. And so they would then do these activities with the scouts and the scouts participated. And basically what you did was they're rebuilding the natural oyster beds um, by getting oyster shells from the restaurants, the local restaurants oh, yeah. and recycling them and rebuilding that, uh, that natural environment. And I, 
that in itself, you know, when you talk about the activities surrounded by the brain, the mental power there that the kids are going to start using because they participated in helping to rebuild that and learning what happened and what they did okay. to to prevent the further destruction without destroying the ship. It's still there. And wow. and you can still do the uh, and they rebuilt the, the, the natural environment. And it's really cool. So my point is, is that put all that stuff together and it all sounds disconnected because that's me. But, uh, you know, but it's, you know, those types that type of thinking and activity is something that becomes very memorable is where I'm going with that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm already like, I mean, you know, like I am core, I am, I am through and through project-based learning. I'm always thinking about a project that could be developed from that, right? Like how citizen science can really interact with um, the environment and the ecosystem around it. Like me being a very big science nerd, that seems really, really cool. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, like, I think that developing projects like is a beautiful thing, but also like, the possibility like what we did with the knowledge and action work around how we have five projects that we can give to teachers who who like you said earlier like you know like it it, it takes a little bit of, of thought to be able to develop a project and that is what we you know what we do in terms of pbl works is to be able to have those workshops to be able to have teachers develop their first project but you know, like the fact that we have these five projects now that are curriculum that can be uh, that can be implemented with adaptations in a classroom, and we can provide the support at PBO Works um, to be able to implement is, is is really cool. I mean, I think to me, like my my life goal, my professional life goal, is to be in service to learners for engaging opportunities. Um, and so this is just uh, another step in that way to be able to do that. So yeah, it's a uh, it's cool. Sorry, I was just thinking a little bit around the 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 example that you gave, um, and now I'm still thinking about a project. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. That's all right. That that's, that's okay. Cool. That's that's what uh, you know. And and kind of where I was going to with that is just that the idea that this type of thinking and developing projects and so forth obviously needs help. And so um, uh, to help the teachers think this way and provide resources, this, this is kind of where PBL works kind of shines a little bit, doesn't it? Yes. Um, we have worked, um, you know, we have been a nonprofit um, since the nineties um, and have worked with thousands and thousands of teachers in implementing and developing projects. We do that through our, what we call our one Oh one which is a three-day institute to be able to um, develop their first project, as I said, and also support visits throughout the year. Um, and so that's something that we do for teachers who are developing their first projects and, and knowing that we need, they need support, right? Once they develop the first project, you know, as GI Joe said, whether they said no, knowing is half the battle, like yeah. actually developing a project is half the battle, but implementing the project is the other piece that's super important. Um, and so we have these sustained support visits and ways to be able to um, give the support necessary once, you know, the rubber meets the road. Um, and so what we do or what I have developed for PBL works in college board is a very similar model um, around the actual learning of the knowledge and action curriculum through a four-day summer institute, um, where they really get the understanding of PBL, the actual KIA curriculum, how you can use project-based learning and design elements to understand the KIA curriculum. And then from there, how do you implement 
and how do you adapt to the context of what your classroom is? Um, because I do think, you know, like I have very strong feelings around um, how how teachers still need to adapt any curriculum that has been given to them, right? The curriculum does not necessarily know the context of the classroom. And so it is really about adaptation um, and making sure that teachers are prepared and calendars for that first project um, at the end of the summer institute. That is what the actual outcome is. And then from there, we have subsequent uh, what we call sustained support visits, which would be online, um, where the groups come together again, who have done the actual summer institute, and talk about their progress. They reflect a little bit around what their project was like. Um, they talk, and then they learn, and then they actually develop a little bit more, right? And you know, like, you can, you can only do so much in four days in the summer. Um, and so, like, the the... The expectation is that you do not you do not have everything done for the entire year at the end of a four day institute, right? You do have you know your first project, and then from there the actual support visits throughout the year are uh, interspersed so that they are a little bit before about two weeks before the projected start of the next project, so they can so they can have the support necessary um, from facilitators um, who have done the knowledge and action curriculum to be able to help them as they move forward and progress. Um, it's a model that we did with the, with the RCT. Um, and the nice thing, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I believe that, I believe that um, 90%, 85 to 90% of the teachers implemented all the projects and all five projects, which is, I think a pretty, Significant amount, uh, considering, you know, we are asking teachers to do a lot. As always, we always ask teachers to do a lot. Of course. Right? But um, the support is necessary um, and I think uh, essential, right, to be able to make sure that they are supported as they go through the process. There's something new, right? Good stuff. I, I You know, one of the things that, uh, um, you know, it, obviously, as the teacher is learning how to do this, it takes time. You have the four, you have the training during the summer. You, do you have, uh, um, I mean, do you, do you find that uh, you have uh, um, staff or teachers reaching out during the year saying, uh, can I get a refresher? I mean, you know, it's, uh, I mean, do you have ways of, of addressing that? Well, I mean, I think that you know, what we always find is at the end of any four-day institute, the, the teacher has a strong relationship with our facilitator. Um, and so what we do see is that people do email, which is perfectly understandable. Yes. I mean, like if, if they have an expert at hand, then they can email and they'll contact. And, you know, there is that support necessary. We do that support like we do have those sessions, which are going to be three-hour sessions throughout the year, um, which are facilitated by by teachers who have done the Kia curriculum. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the first years that I was teaching PBL, I was lucky to have a mentor teacher that was by my side the entire time. Um, even my first year of, of City Arts and Tech, I had a coach that, that came in, you know, and gave me notes. And I think, you know, like at this point, this is a national project um, and we do still have the opportunity to be able to have those points where we can support teachers throughout those three-hour sessions and also through communication from their facilitators in the beginning. Very cool. Very cool. Good stuff. Yeah, because, you know, having having access to somebody to stay uh, 
kind of stumbling here or can you help me with this or and you, like you said staying in touch through email that's obviously there's a nice shortcut that didn't exist a long time ago and uh, yeah. so nice to have that too so it, so let's let's kind of you know we're kind of getting close to finishing up and what I wanted to ask you is I got a couple audience I got a couple scenarios to give you here all right so the first one is if you were given an opportunity to talk with a group of high school principals about using PBL Works to expand the opportunities for more students to be successful in AP what is something that you would tell them? Ah, oh, what a great question. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think, it, you know, you can tell that I'm very passionate on authenticity. Um, so the things I would say would be authenticity matters, the engagement matters, but there needs to be a purpose to learning. And there needs to be a space where there is actually going to be um, a purpose to what a, what a class is about. Um, and so I think the Kia curriculum um, does that really well. Um, that there are very specific projects that put students and learners in contexts that are engaging, that are things that they need to learn. Like I think a little bit around government and politics when we do the elections project, right? Um, that you know, in a lot of ways, if, if, if everybody did an elections project to understand what's happening with public interest groups and funders and donors, like the world might be a little bit of a different place. Um, but I think that there's just the engagement to be able to make sure that the learning is sticky, that they can actually go back and like, you know, they can actually, when, when that student emails 15 years later, they can not only say, you know, I was in your AP Gov class. Like, I really liked your class. They can say, I was in your AP Gov class. And what we did in the elections unit really helped me understand what's happening in politics. And so I use that to be able to vote, right? Like, how much more powerful of a statement would that be, right? It's 15 years from yeah. now to be able to have that email um is is like the gold standard for me right to be able to say like oh like this has influenced me and i think like a thing that we have noticed with students that are coming from knowledge and action is that these students are now becoming environmental scientists are now like my you know like i i think about a story for it from a teacher in la um that that emailed and said that one of her students is now pursuing environmental science as a major in college or those students that are really thinking about poli sci, right. Or they're yeah. going into those things. So like, to me, I think, yes, the, the test is important. Yes. Credit is important. Right. But we can all, we can get to that and we can also then get to a place where we are, we are helping guide what future plans are. Um, and I think that can be done through engaging and through putting people in scenarios that are very realistic and authentic and really understanding what does it take to be an environmental scientist? What does it take to be a political consultant, right? Like those are the things I think that are the most important that really get me excited around the work. And, and I think that's what I would probably say to a group of high school principals is that we all know like right now with the educational system that we are, we, we are somewhat beholden to the, to test, but also we can do that and we can balance the engagement and we can still perform on the test. And I think that's going to be a thing that 
when we all get back to our core around why we became educators, um, it is that it is to influence others and be able to make sure that they uh, that students are on a path that 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 is beneficial to them. So I think that's what I would say. Very cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, you can't go in education without a discussion around equity. And uh, how does PBL work support educational equity for AP students? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, you know, equity is core to our work. And I think, you know, you can hear that there is a lot of different things uh, in terms of how students, how we try to engage all learners and specifically, I, I specifically people of color communities and also uh, communities that have been farthest from opportunity. Um, and so the ways that we think about, uh, we do have very strong equity levers in our work. Um, we call them levers because, you know, they help, right? A lever helps with the work itself, right? So mm -hmm. we can apply that lever to be able to lift up equity in, in PBL works and the work that we're doing. And so those things, uh, you can probably guess a little bit in terms of what I've been talking about. Like the first thing is going to be around knowledge of students and knowledge of community and knowledge of the context of learners to be able to know. And that is a major through line throughout all of our work to be able to know the students and to think about the ones that might be honestly difficult, but to also hold them the closest because they're the ones that need it and they're the ones that you are planning for. Um, and so that's one lever of equity, cognitive demand, um, making sure that, uh, that everybody is at their, pushed beyond, slightly beyond their zone of proximal development and how to be able to scaffold learning within a project um, to be able to make sure that everybody is learning um, at their levels and also being pushed um, in terms of the work. Um, literacy, not only literacy as in reading and writing, but also computer literacy, um, public literacy, um, literacy around just the, the images and around the, that we have that are continually bombarding us, right? Like ways to be able to read and interact with the world um, and shared power, right? That entire aspect around uh, power with versus power over um, and making sure that that there is that partnership between the student and the teacher, um, that there is a space where they can be that com communication, um, which then, you know, definitely connects to the knowledge of students. Um, just the fact that we can also make sure that shared power to me is the most important thing is just making sure that, um, that, that there is that level of communication between student and teacher, making sure that they're, there is a communication, there is the opportunities for, for, for people to, to learn with, um, I think is an essential piece. So those are the four different levers that we actually work with, which are also very strongly embedded within the KIA curriculum and the professional development. But the ways that we uh, hold up equity to light within our work, because it is, it is literally in the mission and vision of our organization. Very cool, very cool. The, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's awesome stuff. Hey, Stanley, before we close, if, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Well, um, I would send them to pblworks.org. Um, there are a variety of workshops uh, that we do, um, obviously, with uh, the current situation with COVID-19. Uh, all of our work is online. 
Um, and so like there is places to be able to sign up for workshops. Um, there's also a vast wealth of resources um, on our websites um, and blogs that you can use to be able to help implement projects in your own classroom. The other place would be College Board. Um, we are partnering with College Board to be able to do a series of these knowledge and action uh, summer institutes throughout the summer of 2021 uh, and in the future, hopefully, uh, to be able to support teachers to be able to implement Kia. Now that we know that there's a measurable uh, effect, I do think it's an essential piece to be able to then bring this to the general population. So there are places to be able to sign up on College Board um, and also at PBL Works, I believe that that redirects to College Board too. So we have we have spots. And uh, we do, you know, when you sign up, you actually do get the Summer Institute plus the work um, in the school year, right, to be able to support. And also, I forgot to mention, Stephen, actually a message board that you can communicate with everybody who's doing the Kia curriculum. So that is another method of support. Very cool. Very cool. I know uh, in the past when I've participated in different types of activities like that, it, one of the things that's usually kind of neat that comes out of it, you don't have to be face to face that just simply interacting online a lot of times lends itself to, hey, Steve, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I was working on this and wondering if, you know, and it's that wondering yeah. if we're, you, you stay connected there too, which is really cool. He has, yes. you expand your network, I guess is where I'm going with that. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's a very vibrant message board on Sprocket, which is where the Kia curriculum um, exists. You can also sign up with Sprocket, too, and get access to Lucas Education Research would be another place I think would be a good place to be able to check out if you're interested in the work. Very cool. I'll put that information in my show notes so people can go find it. And I got two last questions for you. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when you may got so much going on that you may want to quit? <sighs> There's two things I like to think about with this. Um, so first of all, like I said earlier, my professional mission, mission and vision in life is in service to students that so that they can get equitable, equitable opportunities to, to success, no matter how they define success. And so I think that's, that's something that has driven me um, throughout my educational career. Um, and it's something that I think is super important um, and I always think about it and I always reflect about it, almost on a daily basis, like whether whether the work that I do is is supporting my mission and vision of work, um, because I believe in a purposeful life. Um, and I think that I have the privilege to be able to live a purposeful life in terms of my profession. So that's that's one. Um, the other thing, too, is uh, I think maybe in the first day, maybe in the first day of opening up but the first week of City Arts and Technology, I turned to this teacher um, who, had, who had been teaching for 20 years. Um, and I just turned to him, didn't know him. Um, he had been working in another school that was close. And I said, so <laughs> this is my second year of teaching. So do you have any advice? And he just kind of laughed. And then he, uh, he, he just took a sticky note. He wrote something. And just slapped it on the computer and he said, you, you know, you always have somebody to email or call if you have any questions. And he wrote um, on that sticky note, which I still have, um, he wrote, embrace adversity and uncertainty. Um, and I think about that a lot. Um, just the fact that, you know, like we do not know what is what is coming, um, but we do have to embrace it. We can prepare for it in some extent, but we do have to embrace that that 
the uncertainty and just know that you have the capacity to be able to um, to address right the adversity. Very cool. That's cool that uh, you still have that note and that he yeah that he wrote that for you. That's awesome. The uh, yeah. um, cool stuff because talk about things you remember, things that will stick with you for your whole career. Yeah, um, absolutely, and uh, possibly might lend itself to a pay it forward moment. So, uh, which is cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I have I have said that a lot to teachers um, when we talk about things. But yeah, I think I think it's important, right? We, it is. we can plan to the nth degree, but sometimes. You know, <laughs> lesson plans blow up, projects blow up. And then how do you address it, right? You don't necessarily have to keep on going if it's not working. There's ways to be able to address it, and you just have to embrace it. I mean, it can be a hard moment, but at the end, it's just going to be something that would be, you can look back and learn. Talk about a real-world project, yes. All <laughs> things that you plan don't necessarily work out the way you want them to. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. So last question, Stanley, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, well, I think I've called most of them. But I think like when I when I think about this question, I think about my my ninth grade teacher, Mr. Wood, um, who probably did the first project I ever was involved in. Um, And I think that really changed the way that I thought about science. Um, I never really thought that it was fun, but, um, that was, I think in my ninth grade class in my first period, um, I think that really made me want to go to school and want to go to this class, which is like what I hear for a lot of teachers who are doing PBL uh, or teaching projects or doing projects is the fact that they're this, they realize that, oh, kids kids want to come to my class. The students want to come to my class. So nice. that's a cool feeling. So I think I, I would, I would give a big shout out and appreciation to Mr. Wood. Um, I think professionally, I do want to actually give a huge, a huge appreciation to um, Janet Johnson, who was a science teacher at Eagle Rock, who was my, uh, who was my, uh, I guess my um, mentor teacher. Um, I don't think I've ever met anybody who was as passionate about science, who was as infectious around the work and who had such a positive outlook in terms of what students can do. Um, It's always really kept, that is a vision that's always driven me in terms of my work is like, how could I be what Janet Johnson was to a lot of students? Uh, and probably the last one would be like the the founder, founding principal of uh, City Arts and Technology, who was John Ubre. Um, it was an amazing man. And the principal that would get, like I would get to school because it was my first year. I would get to school at six in the morning and the school started at eight because I was just working. <laughs> but he would always be there before me. Wow. Um, and he would always be whistling and he would always be um mopping the floor right and, the, and and we're just dusting he would always just be actively doing things and he was a principal right um and it just reminded me that i it just reminded me of the mindset necessary of doing the work in an effective manner just just like leaving a place better than you found it um and i think that john Ubre left a lot of minds better than he found them um, including myself, 
And so those are the three that I think I would like to, to, to think about and, and appreciate in terms of, of what they've done for me. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Those are awesome moving stories. I love it. I, mm-hmm. the, Stan, I can't thank you enough for talking with me today about PL Works and uh, the impact that it can have on uh, success with kids in uh, AP as well as uh, equity and such. And, you know, what a great focus. I'm wishing you the very best in all you do. Yeah, no, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Um, I'm really excited to be able to hear the podcast. And um, thank you for inviting me on. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.